0: Hello and welcome to Little Things with Amber L.B. Swenson. This is the third episode in the series titled, The Longest Road, Grieving the Loss of a Child. We understand this series may not be easy to listen to, so if child loss is too much for you right now, please take a break from Little Things and listen to one of the other podcasts from Time of Grace. Time of Grace doesn't shy away from tough subjects because we know some of you are on this painful journey. Whether you choose to listen or know you can't, please take care and know God sees you and loves you. Cheryl Cowling is a licensed clinical social worker with more than 25 years of experience providing counseling services to children, adolescents, and adults. She is also board certified as a professional Christian counselor, expert in traumatic stress, and telemental health provider. She has been with Christian Family Solutions for over 15 years.
1: Welcome, Cheryl. Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm excited. This is a very important interview because you have so much expertise in this area. And so I'm super thankful that you're willing to join us today. So talk about the trauma that happens when parents experience the death of a
1: child. Yeah. Well, I think one of the key terms you just used is trauma. Um, you know, if we think about trauma as being defined as a deeply distressing, deeply disturbing, often highly unexpected life event that triggers profound emotions and can be overwhelming to people. I think this would certainly qualify. And so I think when we're talking about the loss of a child, it's often not just the normal grief process, but it's grief with a layer of trauma on top of that. And I think um, that is especially difficult for people in so many cases to try to cope with. I think when it comes to grief, we know that people often experience at the very beginning of that process, because grief really is a process, a sense of shock and denial. Um, And I would say that that is a blessing from God. I see it as sort of a psychological buffer, that he doesn't permit the full impact of that kind of loss to completely overwhelm someone at the beginning, that he allows that to sort of unfold over time. Can
0: I ask a question? Do you see a difference between people um, who have had just even a day or two to kind of get their, wrap their heads around a death versus the, you know, all of a sudden a child is gone because there's been a traumatic accident or they didn't wake up a SIDS death, for instance, or something like that. Is there a difference?
1: I think you will definitely see a difference from within the first few minutes or hours to the first few days, to the first few weeks. I think it really does take time for this to truly soak in. So that sense of complete shock and denial is so normal. I've you know, heard parents describe just not being able to grasp mm-hmm. what maybe the ER doctor, the police officer, their loved one, was trying to tell them that they could hear someone saying, your child has died, but they just couldn't really process that because it was, again, so shocking and so overwhelming that it didn't really process for them. Tell me about the spiritual distress that happens for
0: Christians, especially when the trauma of a child death occurs.
1: Oh, I think that's often one of the most challenging aspects, right? So in addition to the psychological, the physical, um, there's often a profound spiritual crisis that can take place, even for people who have the strongest of faiths, whose relationship with God is deeply rooted. Um, They may feel forsaken and abandoned. They may feel um, maybe that God is punishing them for some past sin. They may feel that his promises aren't true that you know he said that he would protect and um, and my child is dead how does how does that work? And so it can create all kinds of distress for individuals who are grappling with the most difficult experience they will ever go through and feeling distant from God. Mm -hmm.
0: I've heard it said that the death of a child is one of, if not the hardest thing a person can go through. So first of all, do you think that's true? And if so, why is it harder to go through the death of a child than say the death of a parent or even the death of a spouse?
1: Yeah, I would definitely say that statement is true. That one of the hardest, if not the hardest thing someone can go through is the death of a child. And I think in part, it has to do with the natural order of things that I think we are somehow kind of hardwired to accept, you know, if let's say grandma at 102 passes away, she's lived a long life, she's had a fulfilling life, maybe she's looking forward to heaven, she's ready to go be with her Lord and Savior. That I think feels, while maybe sad, because we're going to miss her, we love her normal. But I think when a child dies, whether that child is an infant, toddler, school age, maybe adolescent, or maybe even it's an adult child with an older parent, there's just something I think for parents around, it's not normal. It's not the natural order for me as the parent to be burying my child. My child is supposed to bury me. And so I think that creates tremendous distress. So, you mentioned
0: that there's a rise in deaths due to suicide. Is that, does that carry an extra layer of trauma and distress for Christians versus non Christians? Or is that about the same? Or it's, what do you say?
1: That is such a great question. So, I think suicide often carries an even additional layer of trauma, because this wasn't an accident that, you know, was, you know, something that was unpreventable. This wasn't a disease process. This was someone taking their own life. And I think often in the wake of that tragedy, there are people who are left with not just broken hearts, but with lots of what ifs. What if we had said this, done that? We maybe coulda, woulda, shoulda. Oh boy. So that just can result in people who struggle with tremendous maybe sense of guilt, especially for parents wondering, did I miss something? Did I overlook something? Is there something I didn't do that maybe I should have? Something I um, right, regret um, having done or said? It's just a whole other layer of trauma. And in terms of for Christians versus non-Christians, I think in some regards, the process is very similar. I think for Christians, however, there can be that extra element of wondering now, where is my loved one? Um, Are they in heaven with Jesus? Are they not? What What was their relationship with God at the time of their death? And that can provide an extra layer of angst if they're wondering where my loved one is. So if you have
0: experienced the death by suicide of a loved one, I just want to make sure that you know that Time of Grace has addressed this issue. Both Pastor John and Pastor Mike have recorded Grace Talks videos on this subject, and you can find links to those videos in today's episode notes. What are some of the things that cause the greatest pain
1: after the death of a child? Yeah, I think sometimes it's other well-meaning, well-intentioned individuals who say or do things that are designed to be, meant to be loving, but really aren't. Um, I think sometimes when people offer platitudes or cliches, when they say things like, well, God, I think just needed another angel. And that's why, you know, he took your child to heaven. Hmm. I've heard people say that is not helpful. Um, if people say things, um, like, well, it was just, you know, their time. Well, for many parents, they're going to say, no, I don't think it really was. I think their time would have been when they were 101. Um, so comments that again are designed to be helpful, but aren't, can be very hurtful, very hurtful. Yeah. You
0: mentioned a question that um, other people that I've interviewed said too, that one of the hardest questions they get, which totally well-meaning and, and, and I mean, unintended to bring any pain to anyone is how many children do you have? And that's an innocent question that a stranger, you know, meeting you,
1: right. meeting
0: you can ask. And yet it brings a lot of pain. How do parents who have lost a loved one, um, respond to that without bristling or is there a way because they don't know how to answer that question?
1: Yeah, I think in my conversations with parents, we talk about that there really isn't a right or a wrong way to answer that question. It's sort of what do you feel comfortable with? And sometimes the context makes a difference, right? So if this is someone maybe that you're developing a relationship with and you really have strong rapport and trust is being built and you feel like you want to say, well, we have five, four are here with us, but one is already in heaven. Okay. For other people, they say, that's really not anybody else's business. That's just so personal. So for example, in that particular case, they will say we have four. Um, For other people, they're like, oh no, if anybody ever asks, we have five and ones in heaven. It's such a personal decision. Um, And again, not really a right way or a wrong way to answer that.
0: Yeah. One of the other things that you said cannot, maybe isn't as helpful as it could be, is to say something like, just let me know if you need anything. What's wrong with that?
1: Yeah. I think what so many parents have said to me in the counseling setting is either number one. I don't even know what I need at this point in time. I'm so overwhelmed. Everything is hard. Everything is hard. So if you're asking me what I need, I don't even know. I'm not even sure what to say. I think parents will also say, look, I don't want to be a burden to anybody else. I don't really want to call someone and say, could you bring over dinner? Would you mind mowing the lawn? It's two in the morning. Could you come on over so I can just cry on your shoulder? I don't want to have to reach out. So for many people, what I've heard was that, you know, if somebody said, how can I pray for you? Oh, then that kind of gets them often thinking about you could pray for this specific thing, whether it's for peace or joy, or to help my spouse or my other children or whatever the case might be to cope. Or maybe it is something like, We would love it if you brought over your great lasagna or, you know, if somebody, you know, could send over their teenager to mow the yard, that would be very beneficial. So I think just kind of saying, let us know. Again, well-intentioned, but often not very helpful.
0: It seems to me that the better thing to do is if you feel the nudge from the Holy Spirit to do something, just do it. If you see that their, if you see that their yard is looking overgrown they probably don't have the energy to put one foot in front of the other. Just bring your mower over. Or if Amen. you if you think of them and you're making supper, just make a double batch because you know what? They can always throw it in the freezer for that night that they don't feel like cooking. And I have learned that every single time that I just do something without exception, um, the person says, you know, we are just so grateful you thought of us. We are just so grateful. So just do it. Just do something, reach out in some way with a text, an email, a phone call, a meal, or some other thing. And, or just say, Hey, I'm in the neighborhood. I have an hour free and I'm coming to your house and I will fold laundry. I will do the dishes. I will hang out and just talk to you. I will get you coffee. I will do whatever you want me to do, but I have an hour and it's all yours.
1: I think all those ideas are so lovely. And I can't imagine someone saying, How dare you? I don't want that. I think those sound lovely, thoughtful, considerate, kind. Cheryl,
0: we've talked about things we shouldn't say. What should we say instead?
1: Yeah, great question. I think saying something like, I am so profoundly sorry for your loss. I'm keeping you in my thoughts and in my prayers. I am praying that God will pour out his comfort because this must be so difficult. I can't claim to know what you're going through, um, but I would imagine this has to be so profoundly hard. And please know that I'm here for you. Yeah, I think if someone has said something and they have seen in the facial response the eyes oh that their words were hurtful I think there's you know nothing wrong with simply saying oh I'm so sorry I think what I've said hurt you please know that's the last thing I would ever want to do at any time and especially at a time like this please forgive me um I I only meant to say something comforting and I think I may have made a mistake. I'm so sorry. That's
0: great advice. Thank you for that. So we talked about some things that were very unhelpful. What is helpful? What can we do for our friends who are going through this just life-changing, dramatic, traumatic experience of the death of a child?
1: I think providing empathy, offering empathy cannot be uh, stressed enough saying, you know, I can't know what it is that you're going through. I can imagine. And I'd really like to understand, can you help me to understand what is this like for you? Because I can only imagine that this is so, so, so difficult and i think so many people so greatly appreciate that right if you say oh i know what you're going through oh that's another one of the things on the please don't say list right you you don't know even if you've lost a child i would say you probably have very very similar emotional responses, but every situation, every child, every family is unique. So you really don't know, but you could really try to understand. You can try to imagine what it would be like to be in that parents, in that sibling's shoes. So, um, just saying, please, please tell me what, what is this like for you? Um, Yeah, just huge, just huge. I think we want to be paying attention not just to the words that people say, but to all their nonverbal cues. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I've had you know parents say, "I'm fine," while there are tears streaming down their face, Mm -hmm. or "We're okay," while their body language is tense and tight and guarded and defensive and is screaming, "We are not Mm -hmm. okay." So sometimes you need to say. You know, if you don't mind me saying, I, I've heard you say you're all right, but gosh, you don't to me look like things are going well. You look so sad, or you look, or you sound so mad. Um, can you tell me what what's really going on here? I really do want to understand and help in any way that I can. Um, I think just the power of being there. Um, I think, as you said before, Amber maybe saying to a friend, I've got an hour I'm swinging by. I think sometimes when a child dies, people just don't know what to say or what to do. This may seem almost kind of taboo. There can be such a stigma associated with this. And so they may thinking that it would be better to maybe stay away. So I don't say something hurtful. Don't just pop in for that hour. And for so many parents, just having somebody there, you know, even if we just sit on the couch and we don't really say much, or even if we sit on the deck and I just sob while you hold my hand, or even if, um, we go for a walk together and you do all the talking and I, maybe the parent who's lost a child do none, just getting out and being with another person, mm-hmm. all those things can be so beneficial. Just Being there for somebody, knowing you don't have to have the quote unquote answer to somehow make this better because it doesn't exist. Um, But maybe you can be part of that healing process just by showing your care and your concern.
0: That is a, a really important thing that I have learned. And when I interviewed Mary Jo Trotter, she talked about a coworker who came to the funeral, sat in the back said nothing a man and when she saw him at work all he could say is wow like he was overwhelmed you know but it meant so much because he showed up he didn't have to say anything mm-hmm. he didn't have to have to have the strength to do anything sweeping or dramatic just being there showing up showed her that he cared and and that he was willing to be there for her
1: i think that is so so touching. I've heard many parents say, you know, on a similar note, maybe somebody a week later, a month later, a year later, sends a card, just thinking of you, you were on my mind today, a text message that says, I said a prayer for you today. I think so often parents are so touched by that. I think, you know, something we haven't kind of touched on is that very often initially following the death of uh, really anyone, but especially a child, there can be an outpouring of love and support. But then a month later, probably far less, six months later, maybe kind of only immediate family, the closest friends are still kind of remembering. And so I think to To maintain that support kind of over time, um, not just after the initial loss, but weeks and months later, maybe even years later, um, could just be a, a simple little note, a phone call that simply says, I'm thinking of you today. I know what today is. You're on my mind, you're in my heart. I'm I'm concerned for you.
0: Oh, good advice. So what advice do you have for couples who grieve differently? How can they support one another and validate each other's experience, especially when they grieve very, very differently?
1: Yeah. I think just knowing that that is normal, that is okay. Um, You're not going to grieve the exact same way. No two people do. So in the grieving process, you know, very often the first stage is just shock and denial. And some people I think assume that that should go away after maybe a few hours or a few days, but I think it's not unusual for even weeks or months later to still think you're gonna walk into that child's bedroom and find them there, or the phone is gonna ring and it's gonna be them. And so it really takes time. I think often that's followed by depression, sorrow. And I think sometimes people are a little bit over, maybe a lot overwhelmed by the depths of that hurt and pain. As we said before, I think there's very little that can come close to the hurt and sorrow of losing a child. And so just grappling with that profound hurt and loss to the depths of my soul. Often that can be followed by anger. Um, anger at life, anger at death, anger at God, maybe even anger at the child who died, anger at the medical professionals, perhaps who weren't able to save them, just anger. People may also find themselves kind of bargaining, saying to God, oh God, if you will just bring this child back, if you will just allow me to exchange places with this child, I'll do anything. And this is not a linear process. You don't go through the steps and kind of check them off your to-do list. You're going to go backwards and forwards. It's going to be, and for so many, a real roller coaster ride. And so I think just appreciating that one day, you know, a mom might be in the sorrow mode and dad might be in the anger mode and you might then flip-flop and just trying to be gentle, patient, understanding, kind with each other. Um, not being judgmental or harsh or critical, not thinking one of you is doing it right, or one of you is doing it wrong, because that just doesn't exist. Do you see a difference in the way that mothers grieve versus fathers? I think often we do. Um, I think for mothers, very often because that role of mother can be so profoundly central to their sense of identity, um, we often see them grieving at a deeper and deeper level. I do not in any way mean to dismiss the the sorrow that fathers feel because I've certainly worked with dads who have felt um, profound grief as well. But I think in general, moms tend to take the death of a child harder than a dad.
0: So how can you I know you said to be kind and gentle and patient with each other, but when you are in the moment, and you are in the depths and you can't get out the, off the couch as a mom because you are grieving so, so deeply that day. Mm-hmm. And Dad comes in and he's like, "You know, this has to end. We can't live our lives like this. I want to just start living again. I can't watch you sit on the couch in that moment. The kindness, the love, the patience is sort of gone. How, in that moment, what is a, you know, what can we do to just say, this is what, this is where this person's at right now?
1: Yeah. I think maybe validating for dad that it's probably profoundly hard for him to see the mother of his child looking so despondent. I think for so many dads, they want to fix things they're problem solvers. And I think they often feel like a failure if they can't somehow mend her broken heart. Mm. And I think letting dads know that's really ultimately God's job. He's in the mending hearts business. You can certainly be his assistant in that process, but it doesn't make you bad or a failure if you can't mend her broken heart. And to take that pressure off of dads. Oh, that's good.
0: How likely is it that one or both of the parents turn to something like alcohol or food or retail therapy or something that might
1: not be super helpful for comfort? I think very often how people cope prior to the loss of their child greatly impacts how they cope after the loss of their child. So I think if people were already struggling prior to that death, um, it could be so easy maybe to slip from alcohol abuse into dependence, maybe casual drug use into drug addiction. Maybe I shop a little too much and it creates some friction with my spouse who says, please monitor you know, the spending, but now I'm at the mall or online all the time. Um, So I think we have to be aware of what people's maybe weaknesses or maybe unhealthy coping strategies might've been before. So I think typically the stronger someone's, the healthier, the better, the more numerous someone's coping skills before the loss, the better after. So if people maybe tended to exercise regularly do a daily devotion, be part of a Bible study, um, have time that they spend with friends and family routinely, then if those things can continue, even if it may be on a more sporadic basis, um, that's probably going to result in a far better outcome. But having said that, I've seen people who were functioning very well before just kind of fall apart because again, this loss can be so profoundly devastating. So I think coming to those people in love and saying, I'm really concerned for you. I'm really seeing things that worry me for you. Can we please help get you on a better track? And maybe part of that better track involves talking to a professional, a counselor who specializes in grief and trauma. Mm,
0: Yeah. How can a person, how can a parent be a stable parent for other children when you are grieving such a devastating loss?
1: Yeah, I think that's often one of the greatest challenges for parents is that life goes on. And if they're blessed with other children, their lives are going on. And to try to simultaneously be heartbroken, while trying to get this one to soccer lessons or that one to piano practice or this one to their basketball game, oh, can be very, very difficult. So sometimes parents just need other people to come alongside them, right? So if the neighbor kid's go into the same basketball game, can that parent just take them? Um, But I think on a deeper level, it really is about supporting parents to help give them the extra added love, encouragement, um, that they can put one foot in front of the other. I think it may mean giving them permission to do so. I think sometimes parents feel like, well, maybe I haven't been grieving long enough. Maybe if life just kind of continues on, is that being disrespectful to my deceased child? Shouldn't I maybe be unable to function in the ways that I did before, if we just kind of go about our business, wouldn't that seem like we didn't really care? So I think sometimes parents just need permission to say, it's not disrespectful to move on and continue to care for the other children. Um, But I think realistically, the other children, you know, may need also to find support from teachers, coaches, pastors, aunt, uncle, grandparents, um, other adults maybe who can come alongside of them, maybe while mom and dad are healing, no offense to mom or dad, but I think having other supportive adults, um, it might be time to really draw upon those persons in their support system.
0: Yeah. Siblings are sometimes referred to as forgotten grievers, you said. So, what can be done to make sure that we don't leave them behind in their grief?
1: Yeah. I think it could be simple as giving that child a hug and saying, How are you? I mean, really, 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 how are you? Um, I see you. Um, I'm concerned not just for your mom and dad. But for you, I I know that this has been so hard for mom and dad. I'm guessing, I'm certain, I would imagine, it has been for you too. How are you doing? I think for so many, whether it's teens or children that I've talked with, that has made such a huge difference that so often they do feel like the focus really is on mom and dad, and just having someone recognize that they count, they matter, can make a big difference. You know, especially if the child who has died, let's say had a, had a long-term battle with an illness and it took a lot of mom and dad's time, attention, and energy, um, sometimes those kids don't want to say um, because they feel guilty about this, that maybe there was even a level somehow of jealousy. Oh gosh, that child got so much of uh, mom and dad's resources. And it's not that I didn't love my brother or sister with my whole heart. I did, but, but it was hard. It was hard. And I think sometimes just giving permission to acknowledge that if that was the case, oh, can kind of relieve a burden for those kids.
0: That's really good advice for all of us to keep in mind as outsiders, uh, just to acknowledge and notice the siblings, you know. I probably tend to go up to mamas because I'm a mama, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that is really, really important for us to remember to go up to the other children and acknowledge them and let them know that it must've been a really hard thing for them. And no matter what, the family dynamic is changing and has changed dramatically. So whatever they have experienced or haven't experienced, there's
1: change, significant change in their life. Huge change. Absolutely. And, you know, it's going to take families a while to sort of settle into a new version of normal, right? You can never go back to the old version of normal. I know some families try to do that and you just can't. Life has changed dramatically. And so to figure out, how do we go forward? For example, what happens when that child's birthday rolls around? What happens when the next holiday rolls around? How do we honor them, memorialize them, remember them? What are we going to do? And again, there's no right or wrong way to do this. Um, Each and every family is going to handle this differently, but involving the children in that process is often huge. Um, I think children often have great ideas around, do we still have a birthday cake and sing happy birthday? Do we go to the cemetery and release balloons? Do we set a place at the table? What do we do? And I think involving children in that decision-making process can be so important. Oh, that's good stuff. So when should couples seek help from someone like you? Yeah, I would say probably every couple, any couple that's gone through this degree of loss. This is not a minor life event that, you know, just some, you know, coping skills and a little bit of support can get you through. This really is, I think, as tough as it gets. And God bless family. And friends, and neighbors, and pastors—how wonderful when you have those persons around to support you. But again, because I think this kind of hurt goes so deep, um, I just don't know how it could hurt to be able to sit down with a professional who has training in this particular area and be able to talk about what you are going through. Um, I've seen so many couples who have said, you know what would we have done without this? I don't know how we would have gotten through um, without having this kind of professional guidance and support because we know that as a professional, you've worked with other couples who have been through this before, with other families who have been through this before. We don't know what's around the next corner, but we kind of think you do, and you can sometimes help prepare us for what's coming next. Maybe things we would never have thought to do, you might encourage us to consider. And so I think professional counseling in this situation, I think should be required. (laughs) I really do, but I would certainly, because we can't require it, I would certainly strongly encourage and recommend.
0: And not just... you know, not just in the immediate year after this happens, because I've heard from couples who 10 years later are experiencing the deepest hurt because all of a sudden this is the time when that child would have graduated or this is the time when all of that child's friends are getting married or they're having grandchildren or whatever. And all of a sudden what they thought was under control develops into this grief that is just overwhelming for them 10, 12 years later, and that's hard to cope with.
1: Yes. I I think this is the kind of grief that you probably grieve for your lifetime. Right. And I think as you just said, so importantly, when when people reach different developmental milestones, I think we sort of regrieve again, right? It's maybe one thing to grieve, let's say a child, but then when you think about, oh, now they're an adolescent, they would be getting confirmed or graduating high school. They would be heading off to college. Oh, their classmates, they are now starting to get married and have children. Our friends are having grandchildren. Oh, we're not enjoying that same kind of blessing that I think, um, you will grieve again and again at different developmental milestones. It's not a one time and then we're done kind of scenario. So I think, um, that's maybe something where a professional counselor could just kind of say, you know, you're probably going to go through this in different forms at different times in the future. And I would say too, for the children, the siblings of a child who has died, same thing. Um, Loss when your sibling dies, when you're a child means one thing. When you're an adolescent, it means another thing. When you're an adult, it means another thing. So this is true for siblings as well as parents. Yeah. That's
0: something, you know, even as the siblings start getting married,
1: Yes. And recognize
0: the absence of who would be a groomsman or a
1: bridesmaid
0: or, Correct. you know, and going back to that loss that's, that you're
1: suddenly dealing with all over again. All over again. And I think sometimes just letting people know that that is to be expected, it's quote unquote normal. Um, I think takes away sometimes. They feel like, what's wrong with me? I thought I should have been over this. It's been years. Is there something you know, again, wrong with me? Why is this happening now? I thought I had dealt with this before. And maybe you really did at that time in your life, in that child's life. But now when you switch to a different developmental phase in life you you may be grieving in a different way. Such good advice and helpful
0: hints. And I just am astounded at how well you have been able to walk with parents through this many times over. And so thank you for your important work that you've been doing. And thank you for sharing some of your advice with us today.
1: Oh, it's it's such a privilege to serve people. I've met so many wonderful, wonderful uh, parents and families. Um, and, you know, I think anything that I can do to help alleviate even a little bit of their hurt and pain, especially, um, through God's word, right. And just reinforcing the fact that they are so loved by him. He knows their heartache. He sees them. He hears them. His comfort is so deep. Um, it's such a privilege to be able to share that with hurting people. Mm. Thank you. Thank you.
0: I'd like to thank Cheryl Cowling for her expertise and just taking the time to help us understand trauma and how we can be a better friend to those going through it. Next week, we're going to turn a corner. My producer, Nia Yang, decided to interview me. It's a special behind the scenes episode on really what motivated us to do this series. Um, what, what we were thinking about, what we were praying about, and just really the heart behind it. So I hope you take the time to join us for the conclusion of this series next week.